Well, good morning. We're glad that you're here with us today. We're continuing our series in the book of Matthew. So in Matthew, we've learned, so if this is your first time or first time in a long time, we learned the, the overview of Matthew, the message of Matthew is that Jesus is the coming king. He's been granted all authority by the Father and has made us his emissaries to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Today we're going to pick up in chapter 13. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question. If, if you've read your Bible for any length of time, have you ever read a passage and you wondered, now what on earth does that mean? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Is there, there a particular passage that when you get to heaven, you're like, <laughs> I would really like to ask Jesus what that means? You know, we can think of stuff like that. And then maybe sometimes we think of those questions and when we get to see Jesus face to face, all those questions may go away. Like we just say, I, I, I don't care anymore. I got the Savior. I'm good. But maybe there's something that'll stick in your craw. You're just like, man, I really got to figure that out. Because our pea brains don't always get it. Right? We, we don't always get it. As we learned in Sunday school today in, in my class, right? God's thoughts are, are, are not our thoughts. His, his ways are not our ways. They're higher. He's, he's smarter. And if you feel like we don't always get it, look at some of the people he chose. Peter, James, and John. I'm just going on a limb here. We're not valedictorians. Right? They, they were probably the guys... C's get degrees. And their degree was fishing. That's about what their degree got them to. And so it's like, hey, we're in. But they had questions. I don't always, hey, uh, I, got, I got a few things here I'd like to bring up here. What, what are you talking about? Well, in our passage today in, in Matthew 13, they're going to ask questions and they're going to get direct answers. Jesus is going to tell something, they're not going to get it. They're going to ask a question, he's going to explain it. So this is the best. We're going to read Matthew 13. He's just going to tell you, this is exactly what I mean when I say that. So praise the Lord for that. But today in Matthew 13, because there's going to be a large focus on the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, which we saw at the beginning of our series is repeated often in the book of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven and the response to the king. So specifically, we'll see in our, our slide here, this will be up on the first here, we are to receive the king, help his kingdom grow, and expect the king to bring you home. So if you're trying to furiously write this down, don't because it'll come up again at the end. So relax. So first point here, citizens of the kingdom. We'll see in verses 1 through 23, we'll see the citizens of the kingdom. Look at verse number 1. It'll tell you when this took place. It starts that same day. Well, what same day? You remember back in chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus and his disciples were walking through the fields on what day? On the Sabbath day. And this whole thing starts off. We're still on this same Sabbath day. There's a crazy amount of things that have happened on this Sabbath day. It's a long, exhausting day for Jesus and his disciples. Let's continue reading. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And the great crowds gathered about him, so he got into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd stood on the beach. So Jesus, to get some room, hops out on a boat and people are standing. There's a natural barrier here if you didn't want to get your feet wet. So he's pulling off a little bit, and he's going to teach. In verse 3, he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. 
And he sowed some seeds, fell along the path, the birds came, devoured them, other seeds fell along rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up since it had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since it had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them, and other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, the disciples realized this message is, sounds different than like the Sermon on the Mount. Be salt. Be light. Yeah, okay, got that. Write that down. Be salt, be light. But this is like, you know, we, we're, there's a story here. What's going on? Like who's who and what's what? So something's going on here. Disciples seem to step in close to ask Jesus about this change. In verse 10, disciples came to him and said, why, why, why are you speaking to them in, in stories and parables? And he answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance for the one who has not. Even what he has will be taken away. That's why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. But it seems that the crowds are still around. And it's possible maybe the disciples are in the boat with Jesus when they're asking him this question. He speaks of the hardness of the heart of the Israelites. And to do so, he's going to reflect back to a text. So he'll quote in verse 14, Isaiah. Have you noticed, just as a side note, how often Mo Matthew comes back to Isaiah? It's a lot. It's a lot. That's why it's called the fifth gospel. That's why we spent a whole three-fourths of a year walking through it. So he quotes Isaiah, and this is from Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. Now, if you don't know anything about Isaiah, that may not make a difference to you. But some of you know Isaiah 6. Because what happens in Isaiah 6? Isaiah sees the Lord of glory. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. And he's in his throne room. And uh, it's, it's majestic. It's awe-inspiring. And yet it's threatening at the same time. And he's hearing... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the, the walls, the ground is shaking. The angels covering their feet. They're covering, they're covering everything. They're, going, and they're flying. They're shouting this out and he realizes, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of un unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people on unclean lips from mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So in this amazing setting, Jesus pulls that from this setting and looks at the commission of Isaiah. Because after Isaiah is forgiven his sins, he hears a voice. He sees God. He confesses his sin, but it's not until he confesses his sin that he hears the voice of God. And the voice of God speaks to him and said, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? He's, I'll, I'll go. Hey, he's looking around. I mean, it's like you've done the same thing, right? Me and you have been like, it's like the three stooges when somebody said gentlemen and they turn around. Like me? You, you'll send me? I can, do, I can do your work? Yeah, yeah, sign me up for that. Isaiah, the message is going to be hard. 
Sometimes we like to think of pastors or churches being successful based on what? How many rear ends are in the pew? How many people are coming? How much money we're given? Let me tell you, I say you're not going to be very successful in the world's eyes because you're going to preach and if you preach what I tell you to preach faithfully, they're going to hear it and they're not going to believe it. They're going to want nothing to do with it. But I want you to keep preaching. I want you to keep preaching. Friend, look at me. The success of a church is not based on how well a pastor communicates the word of God. Christians aren't born because of how persuasive a pastor is when he preaches. It's the word of God and the spirit of God. And on that alone, that a soul is converted. We can manipulate. We can make things work. We, hey, bring a friend next week. We'll give you a dollar. Right? We can manipulate all we want. If you do it for a dollar, sweet mercy, do it for the Lord of glory. But it's like, but you, we can try to manipulate all we want. But true life change is going to come from the Lord of glory. That's it. Isaiah, you may not seem very successful, but you do what I'm asking you to do, you're going to be very successful because you're doing it for me. That message of Isaiah, knowing he's going to come and he's going to preach the good news to turn and repent and people won't buy it in that same way Jesus says that's why this is being fulfilled even now. In that same way, I am the greater prophet. We talked about that last week, right? He's the prophet, priest, and king. He's the one foretold. But he's going to proclaim repentance ever since Matthew chapter 4. He's been proclaiming what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Ever since Matthew 4, that's been his message all the way through until Matthew 16. That's his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he sees people not repenting. They see him do mighty works, which we saw back in chapter 12. No, I don't want that. Their heart, their heart is hardened. It's calloused. This week I watched the, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader with the kiddos. And if you know, I, I, I have an affinity for C.S. Lewis. And in that, there's a character, Eustace Scrub. Um, just a nuisance. Just a pain in the rump, this kid. And no matter what his cousins do, no matter how long he's in Narnia, he does not want to buy it. No matter what he's presented with, there's some people that just go down swinging, and Eustace is one of those. The only thing that ends up changing Eustace's heart is meeting Aslan face to face. Christian, there are some friends, there are some family members you've been praying for for a long time. You're not sure how to say it or what to say. You feel like you've used up all your words. They need a one-on-one -on -one with the Savior. That's what's going to come. That's the only thing that's going to change that heart, that life. So pray that the Lord of glory would meet with them. That the eyes of their sin would be enlightened. That the veil that Satan puts over their eyes would be removed. And they would see he is the king of kings and lord of lords. That they would receive the king. But he says, verse 15, For this people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, as they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. And I would heal them. And they would just turn, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes. So it's not everybody in Israel is rejecting Jesus. There are some that have turned, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. 
They wouldn't listen to his prophets, and now they will listen to Jesus. But there, there are those in Israel that have received the king. And again, we're talking about how often Matthew quotes Isaiah. Don't you think Isaiah would have loved to see the Messiah that he wrote so much about? They didn't get to see this. Jesus is telling the disciples. They didn't get to see this. They longed to see this day. Abraham, right, would have longed to see the day. The Lord will provide a sacrifice. Yes, he will, Abraham. And a better one. That's the one in the thorns and thistles. A better sacrifice is coming. There's a better prophet coming, Moses. I, I know, I'm waiting for him. He's going to come and the people are going to listen to him. He's coming. When David says of his own seed, the Lord says to my Lord, my God is coming. He's coming through my line. This is crazy. They would have loved to see this day. The disciples are getting seats to something greater than the Super Bowl. They're getting front row seats to see the long-awaited Messiah. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Emmanuel, God with us. We're here. We get to see this. This is crazy. Verse 18 then. So Jesus now will turn. You got questions? Let me help you. Hear then the parable of the sower. Let me walk you through what I'm trying to help you, what I'm telling these people, and maybe they don't understand. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns? This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So let me pause real quick. Those, those three scenarios, he's talking about three different types of soil that people have heard the word of God, and they do not know Jesus as their Savior. Now, we could walk through illustrations. Well, it's kind of like this person. It's kind of like this person. And sometimes I get questions. Well, what do you think about so-and-so? It's like they, they've not, you know, did they lose their salvation? The question isn't if they lose their salvation. We, we walked through this a couple weeks ago. You can't lose your salvation. What God has started, he will finish. He will complete the work he started in you. Remember this? He will complete that work. So the question isn't, have they lost their salvation? The question is, have they ever known him? Because you read this and it seems like there are scenarios where it seems like there's fruit, but there's, there's no root. And the key, the key difference between those that receive the word and that doesn't, it's not that there looks like there's life, but that there is born fruit in time. Because look at verse 23, as for the sown, what is sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit. That's the key difference. They've received the Lord of glory. How do we know it's legitimate? They will bear fruit. Some more than others? Absolutely, yes. You're like, well, I'm not like Apostle Paul. That's okay. Maybe you wouldn't have got the 10 talents when the Lord was handing them out. But if you got one, better use it, right? Bear fruit with what you got. Some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. One author summarizes this parable by saying the sower is the same. The same sower. The seed is the same. The different results depends on the soils, how we respond to the sower and his seed. Friend, how will you respond to Jesus? 
How will you respond to him? Will you receive him as king? Receive the king. Receive the king. Help his kingdom grow and expect the king to bring you home. Next, we see the growth of the kingdom. Verses 31 through 35. So we're skipping some verses here. Uh, We're skipping some verses, but we'll see the growth of the kingdom. We will come back to verses 24 in a little bit. So skip to verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Verse 35, Jesus quotes Psalm 78 too, which Miss Kimberly read for us today in our scripture reading. Jesus speaks here of the growth of the kingdom. Of the growth of the kingdom. Just like a little seed can become a large bush or a massive tree, just like a leaven being added to your batch of dough can produce it to grow, so the same thing will happen in the kingdom of heaven. It will grow and it will expand. If you have received the king as your savior, you are to help his kingdom grow. It will grow, but you have a part. And we'll see that part will come in the last few verses of the chapter. But receive the king. Help his kingdom grow and expect the king to bring you home. Last we'll see. And this is a long point, so don't get too excited if you have food coming up here. The, the end of the kingdom citizens. The end of the kingdom citizens. Verses 24 through 30 and then 36 through 50. These overlap. He's going to give the parable and he'll explain them. So what we just covered was kind of an in-between time. So before he explained it, so I want to cover these together. He put another parable, verse 24, before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. The servants and the master of the house came and said, Master, did you not sow good field in your f- seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then, do you want us to go and, and gather them? He said, no. Lest in gathering the weed, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first. Bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. That's the parable. Now, what does that mean? Look at verse 36. Praise the Lord, right? Because you're like, well, who's who and what's what? And I don't want to get burned. So how do I avoid that situation? Well, look at verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went to the house. So now we're away from the crowds. They got out of the boat. He went into a house. Disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Here you go. Praise the Lord for curious disciples. Jesus left the crowds and now it's just him. And he answered, verse 37, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. There you go. You want to know who the son of man is? Back in verses 24 through 30, it's, it's me. That's the one sowing the seed. I'm the one. And again, he uses that phrase, son of man, going back to Daniel, which we, again, we've talked through some of this, but if you, if you don't know, look back in Daniel to find the son of man. It, it's, it's a Messiah term. The field is the world. 
What is a field? It's the world. The good seed, sons of the kingdom. Those are those that have accepted Jesus as their Savior. They've received the king. They're the sons and daughters of the kingdom. The weeds, what are the weeds? They're sons of the evil one. Those are those that do not know Jesus as your Savior. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. You're just like, tag. So you can start drawing lines back and forth. Tag. There you go. We know what this is now. I can now read back through that story and start figuring out what's going on, right? The sower is Christ, the good seed are those that received him. Like the first parable, these are those that are on the good soil that received Christ and have borne fruit. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, Christian, you are a son or a daughter of the king. Right? That's what he says. Sons of the kingdom. We're son or daughter of the king. We to live in his kingdom. Praise God, we do. The weeds are non-Christians, people whose hearts like the path the path soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, they have not received Christ as Savior. They, they're not bearing fruit. And like good seed, the weeds are sown not by the Son of Man, but by the evil one, by Satan. At the end of verse 39, we see a portrait of what will happen at the end of the age. The harvesters and the reapers are the angels. And look at verse 40. Here you see what's the end game then. What's the end game of the citizens of the kingdom? or for those that are opposing the Savior. Verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be when? At the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin and lawbreakers, throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 41, Christ sends out his angels. They gather out those that refuse to accept him as king. That leaves in verse 43, those that receive Christ as savior. They're called the righteous. Can you imagine a holy God looking you face to face and ascribing you the title righteous? How on earth? And in what sense are you and I righteous before a holy God? Only if you receive the king. And as far as the east is from the west, he's removed your transgressions, and then you are robed in his righteousness. Praise God that he does that. We can't gain our own righteousness, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not your own works, because we'd boast about it. He looks at us, he calls us righteous. But not just that he's righteous, but we are finally brought home to be with the king. It starts with God and man in paradise. And it ends with God and man in paradise. Finally home. That's the end. And yet, it's just the beginning. As Lewis would say, further up and further in. Oh, we're going to keep going. Higher and higher. Learning more and more. Amazed every day, every turn, every hour. What a day that will be. However, judgment will fall on those that refuse to receive Christ as king and lord of their life. They're thrown into the fiery furnace or hell. They're described as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
weeping and gnashing of teeth. The same idea is gathered, is gathering and separating in verse 47 through 50. So go down to verse 47 through 50. You're going to see the same idea come from another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven. So again, so we're, we're walking through a story that's similar to the one before. It's going to have the same application. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like what? It's like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good in the containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be, and here's that same phrase, at the end of the age, same phrase, the angels will come and they will separate, same phrase, the evil from the righteous, same words, and throw them, and then we're going to have the same exact phrase, into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Different story, same application. Verse 49, at the end of time, we see the same picture of angels coming and separating the good from the bad, the evil from the righteous. What happens to the bad judgment? Everyone that does not receive Christ as king will be cast into eternal torment. Friend, what then are you to do to avoid this eternal torment? And you may be here and be like, yeah, I don't like this. I don't like this chat. I don't like this. Is this church? Is this supposed to be like God loves you? Like what's with all this hellfire stuff? I don't like this. Two quick things. God does love you. Friend, look at me. God loves you. How do you know God loves you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He loves you so much he died for you. Hence, receive the king. Don't reject him. Don't refuse him. But but a second clarifier, Jesus is the one speaking. Jesus is the one speaking. And you'll see him as Matthew goes on. The first time in Matthew that Jesus will appear in Jerusalem is going to be when people are laying down palms and yelling out, Hosanna is the king of kings. And he will weep over them. How long he would have gathered them like a mother hen gathers her hands into her nest. How long? But they would not. Jerusalem kills the prophets. And they're going to kill the Messiah. Friend, he loves you. He will not make you receive him. Come to him. Come to him. How, 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 what would that look like then for you and for me? Now go back to the middle of these parables in verses 44 through 46. What does it look like then to give your life to Jesus? The kingdom of heaven, verse 44, is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Imagine going on a hike out here. You go through, crossing through some, somebody's property, house that's for sale, and you trip over something and you look, and you're like, oh, that's gold. And you start kind of digging around like, oh, there's a lot of gold there. And what do you do automatically? You cover it back up 
right? Nothing to see here. Drag their trampoline, kids' trampoline over top of that thing. Like, no, nothing's happening over here. And they're like, hey, I'll buy the house. Can I get the property too? Yeah. How much cost? I don't care. Yeah, I'll buy it. Well, it's got it, and I don't care about doing that. The house will be bulldozed. I do not care about the house. There's something more valuable here. You go and sell all that you have because you realize there's something of infinite worth. Right there. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all they had and bought it. This is it. This is the one. This is what I've been looking for. Receiving Christ as Lord, it, it's a sense of total abandonment. You realize that he is of infinite worth and you give him everything you have. There, there's nothing else I would rather have than him. Nothing else I'd rather have. Think in movies or books or history of people or knights swearing loyalty to a king. There is no backing down, but you're giving them complete allegiance Right, you're giving him complete allegiance. You pledge allegiance to whom? You, you, some of you are starting to go through some of your, your elementary days. Do you pledge allegiance to whom? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's your allegiance. That's your sole allegiance. That's him. Where else will I give my allegiance? To whom else will I give my fealty, my faithfulness? He's the king. Here you have that sense of giving everything. You do so knowing, though, that you'll come out on top. You will see the better end of this deal. Even though you're entering his service, you're going to come out on top. It's like being able to go back in time and invest in Apple or Google. Right? It's like the movie Back to the Future where you, you, you get the book with all the baseball scores and you could go back and bet on all the baseball games knowing the outcome of the game. He said, I know I'm going to win on this one. Friend, when you give Jesus your life, you win. You have the King of kings and the Lord of lords as your God and Father. He enters relationship with you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to help you, and he promises he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. This is what you're entering. You and I deserve eternal damnation. It's clear from this text. But in Jesus, there's more than an escape clause. It's not like I got my golden ticket, now I don't have to go to hell. <laughs> Please don't see the Savior as that. If you know Jesus as your Savior, we have eternal joy as we enter an eternal relationship with our eternal Lord who promises his eternal love to those that receive him as their eternal king. Eternal joy as we enter an eternal relationship with our eternal Lord who promises his eternal love to those that receive him as their eternal king. It's forever. It's forever. Next we see in our side here, you'll see this phrase, thus we ought to receive the king. Friend, receive the king. Help his kingdom grow and expect the king to bring you home. He will bring you home. Because it's an eternal relationship. Hopefully you've seen the importance of receiving the king. You see his kingdom will grow. You also see that the eternal home awaits you, but how can you help? How can you help his kingdom grow and expand? Look at verse 51. Jesus asked the disciples, have you understood all these things? What do you expect them to say? 
No, right? No. And maybe it's like when somebody is really smart, talks to you, and they say a word, and they look at you, and they understand you don't know the word, and like, did you know what that word meant? And then you say, yes. Yeah, I don't know if that's what they're saying here. But it seems like they're trying to say, no, yeah, no, I, okay, I think we're two and two is four. We're starting to put this together. Okay. Maybe he's not saying, I don't understand everything. You know, but you said the sower was you, so I got that. Like, that's, that's, that's sunk in. I don't know how much they got. So he said to them, right? Yes. And he said to them, verse 52, and here's a, here's a word. It's one of these key words we've been looking out for in the book of Matthew. What's the word? And he said to them, therefore. Right? See the word therefore, you ask? What's it therefore? Therefore. All of these stories have been leading up to this. Therefore what? Why have you been telling us all these things? Uh, let me tell you now. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. You know, it's a bummer as the disciples don't go like, what does that mean? They forgot to keep asking questions. Rabbi, teacher, <laughs> one more time. Just, you know, just... Just so Judas understands, could you walk back through one more time? Because I don't think he gets it. You know, therefore, what is he talking about? It's like a master how it brings out his treasure. What is this, a garage sale? What is happening? The Pharisees and scribes Jesus encountered on this day, this very day, starting back in chapter 12, they understood the old very well. They understood the old very well. We saw they also added to it. They could not, they would not embrace the new. They understood the old covenant, the new covenant, no. Jesus did, even back, going back to the same day, chapter 12, right, go back to 12, 15, he's healing people. He's cast out demons in chapter 12. He heals a man with a withered hand at the beginning of chapter 12. They see him doing these mighty works and they're not buying it because they're stuck on just the old covenant. You are not the Messiah. We will never believe you are. And what you're telling us, Jesus, is incompatible with what we know to be true of the Old Testament. But that's not so. As we've seen even in our own texts, even today in our text, Matthew twice brings in the Old Testament to tell you it's extremely compatible. So we saw last week, Jesus is the prophet that's been waiting for. He is the priest that they've been waiting for. He is the king that they've been waiting for. The Old Testament and New are very compatible. They go together. They're not opposed to each other. So out of all those in Capernaum that Jesus was talking to, who understood that both old and new could coexist and that the new was coming? Who? Jesus says to you, to every scribe who's been trained. You understand these things? Now you know. You now know that the old and new can't exist. You now know of this new covenant that's coming. You now know about the kingdom of heaven, things that they're not even understanding yet. One of the past, former pastors at our last church said of this passage, this parable applies the responsibility of knowing the parables to the disciples. The disciples instructed the new truths of the kingdom as well as the old, we're now responsible for dispensing 
the whole truth, for they alone possessed it. Since they know what Jesus is teaching them, that the old and new are very compatible, that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited prophet, priest, and king. Because they are the ones that have received the word, and they understand what he's telling them, because they understand, they're now going to be held responsible for that information. To whom much is given, much is required. You, you now know. Now you will be my tool that I will use to go and help people understand these truths. You are now responsible to disseminate. The Pharisees will try to keep people stuck in the Old Testament forever without recognizing the Messiah has come to set up his kingdom. They're missing it. But you know. You are then responsible to share these truths and how it works together old and new with everyone. Thus, the therefore. You've heard these stories. These stories aren't just stories to be like, oh good, we're that, we're the good soil. Friend, Christian, look at me. If you walk by the going, I'm the good soil. That's not the point. Don't forget the therefore. If you know what you are, you know how God works. You are now responsible to go teach that truth to others. You're not responsible for that. It will grow. How? How will they hear without a preacher? How? Somebody has to go tell them. We are to receive the king. We are to help his kingdom grow and expect the king to bring us home. So what does all that mean for us today? First off, let me ask you, friend, have you, have you received the king? There are a lot of new people here, a lot of new faces some I've never seen before. Friend, I don't know if you're a Christian or not, or maybe you've been here for the last 30 years. Coming into church does not make you a Christian. Friend, have you received the King? Have you received Jesus as your Savior? Don't reject Him. We didn't get to cover verses 53 through 58, but if you have time to read it later, you'll see Jesus goes from that place. He goes to Nazareth, goes back to his hometown, and he is despised and rejected there. He's rejected again by the people that knew him since he was a kid. Friend, don't turn away from him. Come to Christ today like the good soil. Receive Christ as king. Receive him. Like that treasure you find in a field, like that pearl that's of amazing value, receive it. It's the greatest thing you can do. He promises you more than an escape clause. He promises you himself an eternal relationship with our eternal Lord who will love you with an eternal love. Come to him today. You can do that as we walk through week after week through the ABCs. You, you can do that by admitting that you and I, that we are sinners. We, we blow it. We do wrong. That's the easy part. Next, you be believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He did come. He did die. He did rise. He did ascend in high and he still lives today to intercede on behalf of his own. And then see you call. You pray, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, you can do that today, right where you're at. If, if you're unsure on how to do that, man, I'd love to help you. Our other deacons, Ethan, our pastor, another pastor, would love to help you. Your friend, Christian friend you came with, would love to help you, to walk you through. So if you have questions, please come see us and let us know. But you can do that right now in your seat. For those that are here that claim to have received Christ as king, let me ask you a few questions. First one. I want to ask this as carefully as I can. 
So my, my goal and intent is not to make you question things for the rest of your days, but we, we have to ask this question based on this text. Christian, you, or you claim to be a Christian. Friend, are, are, are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? When you go back and look at the good soil, you go back and look at the thorny, and you go back and look at the rocky path, it seems like there's something. But in the end, there's nothing. I can't look into your heart. You can't look into mine. Is there fruit? Is there evidence that you are a Christian? Is there anything? You claim to be a Christian. Is there any fruit that backs up that claim? It's something that maybe we, we should wrestle with. God forbid that you should come to this church for 10, 20, 30 years, assuming yourself to be a Christian, and yet to hear the Savior say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Christians, demons believe and tremble. What fruit is there in your life? Next, Jesus proclaims that his kingdom will grow and expand. So the next question, what, what are you doing to help his kingdom expand and grow? In what way are you taking part in helping the expansion of his kingdom? We, we have out there, as we try to talk about every now and then, we have out in our commons area a sign that says we exist to glorify God by helping people love God and others, serve God and others, and share God with others. We exist to help people love God and others. Are you doing that? You're part of helping others love God? We exist to help people serve God and others. Are you, are you serving him? We're struggling to find workers for children's church, struggling to find workers for nursery all the time. But he, we, you have a chance to serve. You can serve. Bear fruit. And we exist to share God with others. To whom much is given. Much is required. Do you know what the Savior has done for you? You're responsible then to tell others. You know the truth. And you will find out for the others as it has for you, the truth will set you free. Christian, be a part of his kingdom. Is your priority the kingdom growth or your 401k? What is your priority? Kingdom growth or comfort? By faith, get plugged in knowing that God can use you to expand his kingdom. Believe by faith God can use you to expand his kingdom. He can use you. Again, who did we talk about at the beginning? Who Jesus selected, right? The fishermen. Some of these nobodies. Paul talks about he chooses the base, the foolish, and the vile. We, like, oh, I, I could start on that team. But he can use you to expand his kingdom. Believe that by faith and trust that God will use you. Lastly, how thankful are you that we have been promised eternal joy? That spawns from an eternal relationship with our eternal Lord who promises his eternal love to us. It's an everlasting love. Have you ever seen two old 
to old people, I'm gonna use the word old because nobody in here is old, you're only older, right? Two old people, really old, I mean ancient old people that have been married 60, 70, 80 years. I don't know if I've met anybody that's been married 80. I know in the 70s. Have you ever seen them? And they're like two lovebirds. Their love for each other as the years have gone, it just continues to grow. They're connected. Friend, friend listen to me. This, this is how it sort of looks like when you know Jesus as your Savior is supposed to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. People will let you down. So maybe you didn't feel that love from your mom or dad. Maybe you didn't feel that love from your husband or wife, but the Savior will love you today and he will love you more and more and more. You'll grow in that love with him the rest of days. Not just for now, but forever to come. He will not disappoint. He will not let you down. And it's eternal. To bask in the sun of his love. That's our end. That's our end. And it won't be when we get there, woe is me. Because we've already been forgiven, we've already been purged, already been cleansed, already been forgiven. When we see our Savior face to face, it's just going to be, whoa. And every day, a new facet, a new beam of glory. What a day that'll be. Till then, Christian, be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being our amazing God. And so, Lord, we praise you and we say, hallowed be your name. We thank you for granting us eternal joy as we have this eternal relationship with our eternal Lord who promises his eternal love to those that receive him as their eternal king. What a mighty God we serve. So that I ask that you would help those that are here that have not yet received you as king. Lord, may today be the day of salvation for them. Lord, bring them to yourself. Cause them to see you in all your glory. And may they come to you like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6. Lord, for those that claim to know you as their Savior, Lord, keep us from deceiving our own selves, thinking that we, maybe we are Christians when we're not. God, I don't want anybody here to have false doubt. But Lord, also keep us from false confidence. If there are those that are here that do not know you, make that clear and plain to them today. And may today, again, they turn. Receive you as Lord and go and bear fruit. Lord, I pray that you'd help us that do know you as Savior and Lord to be a part of seeing your kingdom grow and expand. But where else will, will we invest our time? You have the words of eternal life. Well, lastly, Lord, we thank you again and again for being so kind to us that you would look on people like us and call us righteous. Having provided that righteousness yourself. Well, thank you for being so kind to us that you would grant us your presence. 
Thank you for making us sons and daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.